Okay, you know, over this last year, it's been a, a privilege to get to know Nathan Michaels uh, here in our church. Nathan's and his family, uh, his whole family, we've loved getting to know all of you. <laughs> but uh, it's been great getting to know Nathan. Uh, Nathan's been part of several of our Bible studies. The Psalms describe how, um, like a deer panting for water, um, so our soul longs for our God. And uh, one of the things that we know from experience is that as, as you uh, come to know Jesus Christ and as you grow in that relationship with him, one of the things that also grows with that is a hunger for God's word, a hunger for knowing him and knowing the truths that he gives to us. And it has been a delight over this last few months uh, just to see Nathan's life, uh, to see as he's come to Christ, to see that hunger for God's word and the hunger for knowing God in his life. And uh, what a privilege to watch this young man grow in his faith. Uh, we're going to have a baptism service today, so we're going to, as you know, we do things a little bit different when we do, do a baptism service. Uh, we don't have our baptism up, baptistry up here, so we're going to continue our service in the other room after the sermon and after the final songs today, and so we want to encourage everybody to move that direction and uh, to squeeze into the fellowship hall, and uh, we have a, like I said, we have a baptism service after our time in here, but I've invited Nathan to come share his testimony with us, and he's just going to share a bit of the journey that he's been on, what God's been doing in his life. And so, um, Nathan, I think we're getting the song that you want to play going as well. And um, I'm going to turn things over to you. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. First of all, I'd like to apologize in advance. I'm not a public speaker, and I've become a very emotional person, so I will stumble, and I'd like to start with a prayer so that God gives me the strength to get through it. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I ask that you sort through my thoughts. Give me the strength and the courage to share my story. Soften the hearts of those listening so that they may share my emotions and feel my connection that you've given us. Open their minds so they may understand the message I have for them open their eyes so they may see the power of the Holy Spirit working through me, and bless those that are here for this special day. Help me glorify your name, O oh God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was born and raised in a Catholic church, which meant I was baptized as a baby and attended every Sunday. I learned a few important things growing up in the church that I still believe to be true to this day. For instance, Jesus was born from the Virgin Mary and raised by an earthly father, Joseph. Joseph taught him great values and raised him to be a hard worker. Jesus lived a sinless life and then died on the cross for our sins and overcome death. The selfless act saved us and gave us a way into the kingdom of heaven. I don't remember learning how to read the Bible, and I didn't understand that everything I ever struggled with in life was going to ultimately bring me closer to God. Being raised in the church, I've known God my whole life. I just didn't know how to trust him to comfort me in my low points in life or how to talk with him like he was that reliable friend you could tell anything to. I was the youngest of four with seven years between my brother Brandon and I, eight years between Sheila and I, and 10 years between Lisa and I. My parents divorced when I was 12, so 20 years ago and I feel as though that's when my troubles began. When my mom left, my brothers and sisters were already out of the house and in college, so I felt abandoned and alone. My dad was physically there, just not there for me emotionally. After all, who can blame him? He just got out of a 22-year relationship and didn't know how to handle being a single parent. He was struggling with things I couldn't understand at the time. I'm starting to understand now as a father of a young father of three. I believe one of the biggest problems with today's society is that kids are being raised without proper father figures, without someone to teach them how to be polite to others, manners, values, and how an adult father should treat his wife and kids. Now I want to clarify, I was never abused or beaten. My dad wasn't an alcoholic or a drug addict, and I always had food on the table and the roof over my head. But at the age of 12, I had learned, by the age of 12, I had learned to be polite. I had good manners. I've always respected elders. But after the divorce, I craved attention that I was no longer getting. 
It wouldn't be fair for me to blame all my problems on them because after all, we all make our own decisions in life. If they truly weren't happy together, then it's only fair they move on and attempt to enjoy life again. They have both since then found special people to make them very happy and have made the decision to move on in life. So I'm glad they made the decision because life is too short to live with someone you aren't in love with. I have forgiven my mom and dad both and continue to love them dearly. I will forever hold them, hold on to the early memories of us camping, fishing, and visiting extended family in Kansas for the holidays. Those memories will never fade. My oldest son, Levi, lives in Tuc My oldest son, Levi, lives in two separate homes because his mom and I fell out of love before he was born. And he never saw us together. I pray that someday he will also understand that sometimes people just don't work out. And all we can do is try to work together to raise him the best that we can. My beautiful wife, Andrea, has been in Levi's life since he was three and a half years old. And the bond they have is just beautiful. I'm so grateful to have met such a wonderful woman that accepted my past and treated Levi as one of her own, and nothing less than that. I grew up in a small town, so I managed to make it through school with a small mix of positive and negative influencers. I stayed out of trouble as much as I could, but some of the broken kids were easier to connect with because we both came from broken homes and maybe we needed each other. I was exposed to porn, pot, and alcohol at a young age, even though I called myself a Christian, and I knew it was wrong. <laughs> I knew it was wrong, and for some reason I didn't care. I partied with a lot of people and did a lot of regrettable things in my life, all of which were simply numbing my pain instead of healing it. God had a plan for me, even though I was blind to it. God kept me out of any serious trouble, and I thanked him for that. But you see, you can have all the faith and know that God is real and still not trust him to save you. When my family and I started coming to Dewey Free Church, I felt in my heart that this was the church we belonged to. They welcomed my family and I with open arms. They didn't even know who we were, but they truly and genuinely cared about us, and I was introduced to a gentleman named Neil Rickerson. He impacted my life in a way that I never, I'll never forget. We talked for a short time, and he sensed I was struggling with something, so he asked if he could pray for me. I welcomed the prayer, but I wasn't aware of the power of prayer until that very moment. When he placed his gentle hand on my shoulder and talked to God like we were best friends, it gave me the chills. He asked God to show me how to be the light in a dark place, and it hit me like a brick wall. That's my purpose. I've, I'm supposed to be the light in a dark place. I've experienced all this darkness growing up and never really knew how I made it through it all until recently. I've been able to look back on the past 32 years and see God through all of it. In December, in December of 2023, I wanted to end my life because I had been struggling with so much throughout my life and I was mentally and physically exhausted. I knew I'd never go through with it because I made my, myself a promise long ago that if I were to have kids, I wanted to be the best father I could be and I couldn't do that if I wasn't there for him. I checked myself into an intense group therapy clinic looking for answers to my mental health problems. I wanted to learn coping skills and maybe learn how to forget the past so I could move on and with a healthier, healthier mindset. After hearing each person share their testimony, I realized that each one of them needed Jesus because Jesus is there through those dark moments helping us through. And then I realized at that moment, Jesus was all I needed as well. I just hadn't allowed him into my heart. Once I fully <laughs> once I fully gave my pain and suffering up to God and let the Holy Spirit into my heart, I knew I was no longer in the therapy group for me. I was there for them. And I got to witness firsthand how powerful the Holy Spirit is when you decide to follow God's will. I could talk for hours sharing the stories, but I'm not going to, because that's not what today is about. Today is about recognizing my need for Savior and sharing that I've come to believe that God has sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins 
and that he has forgiven me. And the only way to the kingdom of heaven is to believe in Jesus. The Bible has more than a few stories in it, but I'd like to close my testimony with one in particular. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am a gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'd also like to share a song that's close to my heart, and I hope you enjoy it. The song is called In Between by Alan Parsons. sharing your story with us this morning. Um, should I pray for you? Uh, let's just take some time just to pray for a brother. Thank you for sharing your story and sharing how the Holy Spirit's been working in your life and drawing you near to his son. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray for this young man. I thank you uh, for his part in our church, in his family. Uh, may this become a, just a beloved 
family in this, uh, within our congregation. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And I thank you that this morning uh, Nathan proclaimed your excellencies uh, in sharing your story, uh, his story. Father, we pray for your blessing on Nathan, on his family. Uh, I pray in particular that you would just grant, uh, if you've, if you've, as you've already granted your grace to him through your son who died on the cross, um, thank you for the life that you've given. And uh, as we celebrate in baptism uh, later, later on this service, uh, we, we celebrate what you've done for us. Father, I pray for your hand of blessing on Nathan. I pray that you would continue to fill him with your Holy Spirit and that you would use him mightily in accomplishing uh, your will in his life, in the life of this community. And I, I just pray for his growth and sanctification as he continues to grow in this relationship with you, as he continues to walk by your spirit, as he continues to serve Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've brought faith to this man. We thank you that, um, that he has come to believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, we give you the glory because you are a great God. Amen. Thank you, brother. Today's reading is from 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. pray with me. Father, we thank you uh, again for your grace that you've poured out abundantly in our lives. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who provided the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, and we thank you that you've given that life to us. Father, as we continue our study of 1 Peter, I, I pray that you would help us to see the, the beauty of this amazing letter that you've given to these saints that lived two, almost 2,000 years ago. I pray that we'd continue to see how this is a letter that is written to us today and it pertains to our lives right now in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of this life that we live between suffering and eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to teach us, might your spirit Fill us as we take your words and we apply them to our lives. Might everything that we do glorify your son's name. Amen. Well, many, oh, first of all, the kids are going with, um, who are the kids with today? Okay, okay. You're going back really fast by yourself. I thought maybe you were making a beeline. So, well, the kids go to want to go to children's church today with Mrs. Leslie. many of us hear the words, the end of all things is at hand. Uh, you know, one of the pictures that may come to your mind, I know it does for me, is this picture of a, a street preacher. I remember encountering this, encountering this one street preacher in Chicago. Uh, it was on a busy intersection. There were cars going all different directions. And there in the, on the corner of this busy intersection was a man with a placard that said, the end of all things is at hand. And he was preaching a message that, well, nobody heard because everybody was in their cars. But, um, but he was preaching it. And uh, that's kind of the picture I get when I hear this phrase, the end of all things is at hand. It's a message that maybe the street preacher was re preaching repentance to any passerby who might hear. Uh, for me, when I, when I hear that phrase, I kind of picture this guy in my head wearing a long coat who stands on a sidewalk corner of a busy intersection holding this placard with the, 
the message blazoned across it. Uh, maybe you have a different picture in your mind when you hear those words. The end of all things is at hand. Uh, it's a common phrase that you hear a lot, uh, and it's oftentimes attached to a message of repentance. Um, no matter what you think of the methodology, uh, I, I think that, um, or, or ha- what image comes to your mind, uh, I think most of us have heard a phrase like that, and u- used in different contexts. But this morning, I'd like us to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7, and the following verses, where we encounter those words where they were written for the very first time. What I find interesting about this passage is that this is a message that is actually addressed to believers. The end of all things is at hand. It's a message for you and for me that we need to hear today. Those words, uh, while they do serve as a warning to those who still remain outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, those, those words are actually the introduction to a series of admonishments for those of us who already profess to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, briefly back up with me, though, as we consider the context in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter is a letter which is written to Christians, and what was it they were going through? They are going through persecution. They are facing suffering in their lives. Here's a group of Christians that were suffering for their faith. They were elect exiles living in a hostile world. But, but when Peter writes this letter to them, it's a letter of encouragement. It may have even been written to them at the time that that Paul had been executed and Peter was writing to some of his disciples possibly, whatever their immediate context, Peter, he doesn't write to them to show them, here's how you escape from your suffering. He doesn't write them to a letter and give them a bunch of cliches and platitudes. But instead, he, he takes the heart of this letter and he encourages them to adopt a perspective that has the good news in focus. The key thought that has governed these chapters is that God has called us so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Your life and your words and even the way that you submit yourself to other people, including your spouse, including your governing authorities, including the people that you interact with every day, the way we submit ourselves to one another the way that we talk, the way that we live, all of these serve as vehicles for this great proclamation that God has entrusted to you. And then as Peter closes this section of the letter, he he leaves us with some final thoughts on what it looks like to live between suffering and eternity. As followers of Jesus, we, we we may live in a hostile world, but we prepare ourselves for trials and persecution by having the same mind as Christ. And then now in his closing remarks, starting with verse 7, he also reminds us of what lays on the other side of this life. And he begins by reminding us the end of all things is at hand. It's a perspective that lies, it is a perspective that lives with eternity in view. Uh, over on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, uh, there's a, an old first class hotel with rooms that look over uh, look out over Lake Michigan. A lot of you have maybe been down at the beach in Chicago and you've seen the Drake Hotel that kind of just looms over that entire section of the city. Uh, it's a beautiful hotel. The interior is amazing. The service is, is amazing. I've never stayed there, but I, I imagine it's, it's wonderful. But back in 1959, uh, the Queen of England visited Chicago. And there were all kinds of elaborate preparations that were made for her visit in the city. The, the waterfront was made ready for, for docking her yacht, her yacht, <laughs> her, her yacht. Um, little baskets, litter baskets were painted, a red carpet was rolled out, many hotels were contacted and alerted that the queen was coming with her entourage, and, and they were told to, to make ready, and, and they, as they were alerted, um, when they contacted the Drake Hotel, the manager explained we are making no plans for the queen. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. <laughs> what a great advertisement, right? You see, too many people live knowing that eternity is on the horizon and that our king is returning, 
and they live in a manner as if the king is going to return at some far-off time that's somewhere infinitely in the future. Probably not during my lifetime. His return is in the distant future for these people. Oftentimes the way that we live, the way that we practice, the way that we walk our lives sometimes reflects that we bought into that lie. They wait and they divert their energy and their time and their life into pursuits and diversions that ultimately are going to fade away. Like those hotels in Chicago who jumped to attention when they were told that royalty was now coming. There are so many who are not ready for the coming of Jesus and they scramble at the end. Many read Peter's words, the end of all things is at hand. And, and, and they might scoff. In fact, you might, you might read that and say, this is written 2,000 years ago, right? Did that cross anybody else's mind? It, it, we, we, we look at this, and this was written 2,000 years ago, and some would say, see, Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus didn't even come during the lifetime of the people that he wrote this letter to. But, but those who, who challenge Peter's admonition fail to understand the language that he uses here. You see, the, con- the, the concept of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, this concept that, that something is at hand, does not refer to something that's going to happen in a very short time. It's not saying something that's going to happen today. It's a concept when we, t- when we look at something being at hand. Rather, it refers to something that could happen at any moment because we do not know the time or the hour. But we are to be ready for his return because it could happen in five minutes. Wouldn't that be glorious? You wouldn't have to sit through this whole sermon. It could happen in five hours. It could happen in 500 years. But there's no prophetic event that has to be fulfilled before Jesus appears. It's the next thing that we're expecting. There may be things that the prophecy has fulfilled that will happen before that, but nothing has to happen before the return of Jesus. And so therefore, his people are called to live in a spirit of readiness, knowing that it could be our generation, it could be this very service in which he returns and his appearing for the church happens. And because the end is at hand, we are making no plans for King Jesus. But we are to live in a manner that we are always ready for the coming of Jesus. And so that's Peter's closing statement to this section that we've been looking at over the last several weeks, from chapter 2 through chapter 4. And those who believe in Jesus with the constant expectation of the end, we live with eternity in view. And it's this outlook toward eternity that bears on how we live. In verses 8 through 11, he, he, he gives us a few admonitions that result from that reality, that the end is at hand. And he's going to give us some very practical application. And a lot of people look at this text and think these are just kind of random thoughts, random things he's pegging on to the end of his main message. But I think what he's doing is he's just giving us practical application of how we live this idea out that, that we are between suffering and eternity and with this expectation that Jesus' return for his people could be at any moment, we have practical application for how we live with eternity in view. Why don't you look at these with me? Let's look at application number one. Application number one, stay focused in prayer. The first point of application for those who live with eternity in view is that we stay focused in prayer. I admire how Peter states this. He starts in in verse 7, and he writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I can't help but wonder if Peter had a different prayer meeting in his mind when he was writing these words. Uh, A lot of the concepts we find here in this text uh, echo the words that are used in the Gospel of Mark on a different occasion. thinking of Peter's failure at the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed by Judas, and Jesus asked Peter and some of the other disciples to stay awake with him, to watch while he prayed. Jesus poured out his soul and in, in prayer, and, and when he came back after a time of praying and, and, and his deep anguish there at the Garden, Peter and the others, he found them asleep. In Mark chapter 14, verse 37, we're told, and he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? 
you've not walked with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus went back again and he prayed and again he returned to find Peter and the others asleep. A third time he came back and he woke them. And on that occasion, Jesus admonished them to rise. Let us be going. See, my, my betrayer is at hand. There's the same word. Only this time it was Judas that was at hand, not the coming of Jesus. And so in this case, it was Judas who was going to appear at any moment. But I wonder if Peter's mind went back to that failure in the garden to show self-control, to stay awake during that dark hour when Jesus asked. For us, it's the end of all things that is at hand. And, and we believe that it could happen at any moment. And therefore, we are to live, Peter challenges us, we are to live with a spirit of readiness for our king. And this includes being self-controlled. It includes being sober-minded. That means keeping your head on straight. Being well-balanced. Christian, the thing is, is, if your life on this side of eternity is lived flippantly in pursuit of all the things that this world offers you to divert your attention to other stuff, the things that it diverts you from the things that truly matter, then certain aspects of your Christian walk are going to suffer. Specifically, your prayers are going to suffer. As Nathan shared his story this morning, I mentioned some opportunities, Neil, he mentioned you, just taking the time to pray. And, and oftentimes I don't think we, we grasp the, the power of prayer and what God has put into our lives, this opportunity that we have to, to, to fellowship with the God of the universe, to come right into his throne room and have a conversation with him at any moment of any day. When we wake up in the middle of the night and we're afraid, we're invited to come right into his throne room and to pray. When we are sharing the gospel with someone, we're getting ready to, and we don't know how to start the conversation, we're invited to come right into his throne room and to pray. And the interesting thing is, is as, as other things in life start to divert our attention, and, and, and we're not being sober-minded, we're not being self-controlled, one of the first things to go in our Christian walk is that faithful walk in prayer in fact this is the third time in this letter that peter's made a comment like that the first time was in chapter three where where peter described what godly submission looks like for husbands uh, what it looks like for them to live with their wives as as fellow heirs of the kingdom of god and how to submit in that relationship husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands but part of the reason that we are called to that kind of marriage relationship back in chapter 3 was so that your prayers may not be hindered. And then in verse 12, he reminds us that God's ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. And now once again, he challenges us to live with eternity in view by being self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. I think we oftentimes think of prayer as the thing that changes our life. And it does. God uses prayer to, to focus us and, and to work in our hearts and to work in our lives. But there's an interesting aspect of it. Oftentimes, it is our life that also affects our prayers and sometimes hinders them. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, we must stay focused in prayer. My friends, too often, our, our cluttered lives, our pursuit of the diversions of life hinder us from the blessed privilege that we have to enter the very throne room of our God and to speak to Him as our Father. Peter quickly moves on to a second point of application. No, look at verses seven, eight. Excuse me, verses eight and nine. He says, "Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling." Let me just allow me to. Um, let me just remind you what love means. Uh, love does include feeling, right? Does love include feeling? Are there emotions attached to it? I think oftentimes we, we, we focus on certain aspects of love, and so we kind of shun that part of it and say, well, no, love is something. That no, it does include feeling. It does include emotions. It does include relationships. But the love that we are called to is the unconditional giving of ourselves to one another without expecting anything in return. 
loving one another means that, that we die to ourselves and that no matter what the feelings or whether the emotions are returned or the relationship is, is reciprocal, that I am willing to die to myself and to put my own desires behind someone else in order to put them in front. Love is the unconditional giving of yourself for another without the expectation that you will get something in return. And Peter is emphatic here. He begins with above all, which, which reminds us of the central place that love has and is, that is love is supposed to have in our treatment of one another. And then he ends with earnestly, which reminds us that love makes a stretch. Sometimes it's a long stretch. Uh, you ever reach for something? You ever, you ever reach for something so far and, and you just felt something go in your shoulder? You know, ah, you know? That's the picture here of, of earnestly. Stretching out to reach for something that's far away. And um, it makes us reach out and purposely extend ourselves and sometimes to the point that we would sacrifice for others to the point of our own loss. And when he mentions that love covers a multitude of sins, I remember as a... Um, as a young man, I, I read that verse. It said, love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Um, does it mean that I, I cover for somebody? This person sinned, and because I love them, I'm going to lie? And, and I, I, I struggled with that verse. You know, how does that work out? And I've heard other people say, well, love covers a multitude of sins. It's talking about um, uh, um, some sort of covering of sins, that, that our love for one another covers up. That, that's not where he's going either. Peter is alluding to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, actually, which is a reminder that when you love someone, you, you don't stir up the old wrongs and broadcast their failures for the, to, to others. Covering sin here is, is not referring to some kind of payment for sin. Well, only Jesus has done that, right? Um, only Jesus is the one who was able to offer himself as a sacrifice on our behalf in order to offer us forgiveness. And, and Peter is not suggesting that we cover up sin and, and lie for someone, but rather it is a word picture of covering up the wrongs of others that they've committed against you. And, and you don't stir up wrath. Love leads us to forgiveness because we recognize the grace that God has shown to us through Christ who washed our sins away completely. Closely connected to this, Peter also speaks of showing hospitality. In that culture of, of hospitality, there, there was uh, very different from ours. Uh, Angie and I were talking about going down to Kansas City for an event coming up, and um, we're not planning on calling a random Christian saying, hey, can, can we stay at your house? That's not how we do things, is it? We'll, we'll probably look for a Best Western or, or something that you know, days in, and, and we'll do like everybody else did. But in, in the first century... When you're traveling, you did not want to go to an inn because the inn was a place where things happened and it was not an appropriate place for Christians. And so um, the inns in that culture were, were very shady. And, and so Christians that were traveling, particularly the apostles and some of the prophets that were traveling from town to town and preaching the gospel, uh, they were dependent upon the hospitality of strangers who would, who would take them in. But the thing is, is people can be difficult, can't they? You ever had somebody over to your house and they stayed for a couple weeks? Are there ever tensions that start rising up? You, you love the person, you're showing kindness to the person, but the, the truth of the matter is that people are messy. Life gets messy. People do things. We offend one another, and sometimes we just say things differently, and we have a different way of living. With, and, and when you put those lives together, people can be difficult. I can be difficult. You can be difficult, right? Loving each other is hard. And sometimes it's really hard work. Because, I mean, well, look at us. We're a mess. And hospitality is a challenge. And in that culture where love and, and hospitality, I mean, they didn't have the days in to go to. They, they were dependent on this kind of hospitality. That, that applies itself in our lives. We're still called to be hospitable to strangers. That, that doesn't necessarily mean having just somebody come into your home as, as it happened in the first century. Our, our culture is very different. But, but showing kindness to a stranger is something that we are getting further and further removed from. Because I have my own little private bubble, I'm, and I'm sitting on a bus. I don't want to talk to you. Hospitality happens in all of these contexts. And, 
and Peter says, do it without grumbling. There's an old Italian saying that says, a guest is like a fish. After three days, he will stink. When people spend time with people, the mess happens. And so loving one another means, whether it's in the context of hospitality or the context of just doing life on a daily basis, it means that we demonstrate this kind of hospitality, this kind of kindness to one another and to strangers. And we do it without grumbling when people are hard to love. We treat them with kindness even in the home. We love our spouses. We love our children. We love our parents. We do it without grumbling. Verses 10 through 11 give us a third point of application. Uh, Because we live with eternity in view, uh, we are called to serve passionately. As he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. My friends, the, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, we are called to use the gifts that God has given to us and to use them in service. The Bible teaches that if you have come to be a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given to you a spiritual gift or a few spiritual gifts. Nathan, you shared your testimony of how you've come to know Jesus Christ. I I want you to know and understand that God has already given to you, the Spirit has already granted to you a beautiful mixture of spiritual gifts. Above the talents and the abilities that He's given to you, there is a gift that He has imparted to your life. You may not even realize it yet. You may start to see things that God does in your life, as as all of us should be seeing how how God is using us. And sometimes we, we discover those gifts just as we naturally find a, a, a passion and a desire to, to serve in a certain way. Some of us, we discover those gifts as others come to us and say, wow, you know, you did this the other day, and I can't tell you how encouraging that was. Or, or you did this, and you said this the other day, and I just want to tell you how, how that inspired me to live out my faith. And I've really been doubting, and, and, and I found a, a strength there, and, and, and I am trusting Jesus Christ for this. And maybe you have the gift of faith. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Maybe you have the gift of, of helping. He, he imparts all kinds of different spiritual gifts that are talked about in other passages. But each one of us, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has imparted to you a spiritual gift. A, and he's called us, called you to be a good steward of the very grace, the, the different mixture that he's given to you in particular. Peter doesn't go into a long list of different spiritual gifts here in this passage, but first he reminds us that God has made each Christian a steward of God's grace. You see, the the picture there is in the first century, uh, a servant who lived in a a wealthy household, he would often be entrusted with with large amounts of of money, large amounts of responsibility. Uh, Technically, the steward was a slave. He, He was part of a household And um, slavery in the first century, while still ownership of a person, was different from what we usually think of it. But someone could be entrusted with with lots of money, lots of responsibility. Some stewards would walk around on a regular basis with great wealth attached to their belt that did not belong to them at all. It belonged to their master. But they were trusted to care for it. And and they, in the same way... um, God has also given each one of us a trust. We are stewards of the gifts that he's given to us. And we are to be responsible and to serve with delight as we serve our master who loves us. Peter simply breaks our gifts down into two categories. Again, he doesn't give us a list like we find in 1 Corinthians or Ephesians 4. He just says speaking and serving, essentially. There, There are those who minister in public, and their leadership is in front of everyone. You probably think of your Sunday school teachers, people that serve up here and, uh, and, and serve uh, where they're, they're more visible. They're online for our guests that are attending online. And there are those whose ministry is oftentimes behind the scenes, accomplishing the doing of, of great work. 
And Peter simply reminds us to keep in mind the great trust that God has given to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a steward of His grace. You are a steward of a gift that God has given to you. And it should be used for His glory. Those who preach and teach should be mindful that we are handling God's Word. He mentions oracles. An oracle was a saying, an utterance of God. You're handling the utterances of God. And you are representing Him in the things that you say when we teach and when we preach. Those who serve should be mindful that we are not just accomplishing mundane chores. Some of you serve on fellowship. And, and, I, and I know sometimes um, some of the, the things that we do in church, you may feel like, oh, just making coffee today. You're in the nursery. Oh, just changing another diaper. Just feels like sometimes the chores are, are a little bit mundane, aren't they? But each opportunity to serve is an incredible opportunity to show to, to glorify God with our lives from the mundane things to what we would consider the more important things. And, and Peter challenges us and he says, those who serve should be mindful that we're not just accomplishing mundane chores, but we are serving the King of Kings. And we serve with the strength that God provides in all the little things and even the things and, and all the big things as well. While we are on this side of eternity, even with the, that eternity in view, Followers of Jesus are called to do the work that God left us here to accomplish. We have a message to proclaim. And as we exalt our God who called us into light, we have a message of life, a message of grace. We have a message that God forgives sin for those who believe on Jesus who died in their place. We have a message that God reconciles people who turn from their sin and they turn to Jesus who offers his mercy because he made a substitution. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we could have his righteousness. And when a man or a woman says, I believe, I don't want to live this sinful life anymore, Jesus, please save me. I believe, I believe what you did. The Bible tells us that a great transformation takes place. A great substitution takes place. Our sin for his righteousness, our darkness, for an eternity filled with light. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, we must preach the gospel and we must serve our God and others with the passion of one who knows that today may be the last opportunity for us to do that. Finally, Peter closes with a reminder of our purpose. He says, all things are for God's glory. And he states in verse 11, in we, all this in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Eternity is at hand. And so never forget that we were created for His glory. Uh, we we kind of use that as cliche sometimes. We talk about, you know, we're, we're just going to glorify God in our lives. Well, what does that mean? Uh, I've often used the illustration of the sun and the moon. The moon, it's a beautiful bright light out there in the sky. It radiates with all kinds of fire and helium, right? No, it's, it's a cold, dark rock, isn't it? The moon is a rock floating through space, and, and if it wasn't for the sun reflecting off of its surface, it would be as dark as anything else in space. But the glory of the sun shines out. And, and off of that cold, dark rock, um, is it explodes with glory. The moon is lights up the night sky. In the same way, you and I were created to reflect God's glory in and of ourselves. We don't have anything to offer. But when His glory shines off of our lives, the world, whole world, and the whole darkness has the opportunity to see how great our God is. And so we were created for His glory. You and I were created to worship Him and to point all things to how delightful He is. The, the beauty of all this is that when we live out our purpose, we end up finding joy and delight in Him. And so therefore, remember, O Christian, that the end of all things is at hand. And so friends, we, as we live in the final days, 
We live with the knowledge that the end is at hand. And so no matter what kind of suffering comes our way, let us have the same mindset as Christ. And let us remain focused in prayer, knowing that our God welcomes us to come before him. Prayer is a beautiful privilege that God gives to us daily, hourly, minute by minute. Let us love one another deeply. We, we know that that's hard work. We know that people are difficult. We know that we are difficult. We know that there's a mess anytime we put our lives in the path with others. But let us love in a way that we extend ourselves and we give of ourselves for those that God has put into our lives. Because our time is short. And let us serve passionately, using the gifts that God has entrusted to, to your care. And let us pursue all this knowing that our chief purpose is to reflect His magnificence. Our God is great. And it is our privilege to proclaim His excellencies to a world that is shrouded in darkness, that needs the love of Jesus Christ. It is our privilege to proclaim to them that the same God who called us out of darkness has also given himself for them so that they too may be called into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful passage that we've been studying over this last few months. As we continue in 1 Peter and move into a new section, Father, I just pray that you would help continue to remind us of our need to walk in your grace. Let's be people who pray be people that love one another, showing hospitality to one another, showing kindness to strangers. Lord, help us be people who who are living with the expectation of Jesus' return. And um, as we wait for that day, I pray that you fill us with your spirit so that we faithfully use the gifts that you've given to us for your church and for the world so that they might know your excellencies your glory. Father, as we transition our service and we celebrate with the baptism this morning, uh, we, we thank you for your grace. Pray that you would help us be mindful of the work that you're doing in our lives and might all of this be a reminder to us that we have died to our sin and we live for Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate together and, and might each one of us reflect inwardly on the work that you are doing in our lives as each of us. Thank you.